Turn with me to Galatians chapter 1 as we continue our study in the book of Galatians. We're going to be looking at verse 11 through the end of the chapter, through verse 24 today. As we continue to uh, look at this portion of this book, kind of Paul's, I guess, kind of a biography in a way, or not, it's an autobiography, I guess, he wrote it himself. Before we go to God's word, let's go to him again in prayer and ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, help us to understand that these are not the words of man. These are your words. Yes, they were written by a man, Paul, but they are your words for all time and for all us. Help us to understand that, Lord. Help us to see your word is true and right and good for us. That there is no alternative, including our own words. Your words are good for your church. Open them up to us now as we come to them. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. So I read through this passage, it reminded me of a time... Uh, when I was a young believer, young believer, as in just not even a, hadn't been a believer for a year, I attended a summer project. Some of the people in this room have attended the same one. And it was for a college students, and it was in Panama City Beach. As you can imagine, anything constructive happening with those two, com- with those two things combined, it actually was pretty constructive. I encountered lots of experience there that helped me as a young believer and even as a future uh, minister. And one of the encounters that I had was with a man named Jerry, who showed up to church uh, one summer, or one day that summer, uh, there was a church that we were attending, and he actually came several Sundays, and then this, this final Sunday came, this, that happened. We were attending there, and the pastor there was faithfully preaching God's Word, and uh, he taught Sunday school to us every morning, and we kind of sat under his teaching, it was very good. I actually tried to look him up, and I can't even remember the name of the church, sadly. Um, but this one Sunday, this man named Jerry came in, and he said that he had a special word from the Lord, and he was talking to all of us college students about it, concerning, and his word from the Lord, concerning Paul's letter to the Laodicean church. And if you look in your table of contents of the Bible, there's not a letter to the Laodicean church there. And so for me, being a young Christian, I hadn't even been a Christian a year yet, it seemed really cool because I knew that that wasn't in the Bible, right? Yet it seemed legit and mysterious all at the same time, and I just needed to know because I remember thinking that a special word from the Lord didn't seem all that strange to me at the time. I grew up in a church that that kind of thing would just happen sometimes, and I thought, well, why would anyone lie about something like that? You know, that just didn't seem like the thing someone would lie about. And so it was interesting to me. So the, he finally was able to talk to the pastor and, uh, the pastor would not let Jerry give his special word from the Lord. And I was disappointed and I actually had built some rapport with the pastor that summer and I went to him and spoke to him and he, and his response to me, I said, why didn't you allow him to tell us about the church of the letter to the church of the Laodiceans? And he, said this, he said, Paul's letter to the Laodiceans is not part of God's word. We need more of God's words and less of man's. 
I was floored. I was a 19-year-old kid, and uh, he hadn't, there was no argument for me. I was very thankful for his words. They've always stuck with me, even to this day. In our text today, we're dealing with the same idea. The gospel of man versus the gospel of God. We've been looking at this overall theme the last few weeks, and it'll take a different spin today as we consider it from the context of this kind of autobiography that Paul is writing here. The first few chapters of Galatians kind of serve as that, as Paul's early experiences as a believer, as an apostle, as a minister of the word, and I believe they're very instructive for us because they help us to see that Paul, even Paul, the great apostle Paul, did not have his own gospel, yet relied on the one true gospel given to him from the one true Lord, Jesus Christ. And this would be helpful in his feud with the Judaizers who had man's gospel in their own back pockets. So as we consider this text, we're going to break it into those two ideas, the gospel of man first, and then the gospel of God. So look with me at the text, Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 11. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when I but when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, In what I am writing you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Remember last week we continued to build upon this idea is that Paul opens up with in Galatians that there is one gospel. In fact, we're just going to continue to do that as we work our way through this book. There is one gospel and that gospel comes from God. There are cheap imitations of that gospel. And last week we looked at the one of those imitations being the approval of man and kind of some of the outworkings of that. The gospel of approval does not offer hope. Instead, it offers despair and it never satisfies ever so in our text today we find more of a story 
of Paul's life right after his conversion. This is kind of what he did right after he was converted to the Lord. And yet his story provides us very important details. This isn't just a historical account, but it's practical for us. We need to be careful with these details, though, because we aren't Paul. This isn't a story about how we should do things necessarily. Remember what I've said recently, what I've said a hundred times from this pulpit, if I've said it once, the office of apostle is closed. We aren't called to the exact work that Paul was called to. God isn't inspiring us the same way he inspired Paul to write the words in this book. We're not going to soon have the work of the letter to the church in Murray. It's not going to happen. We can write a letter to the church in Murray if we'd like, but it's not God's word. As long as we keep that in perspective, Paul's life serves as a great jumping off point for how we should understand our own ministry and our own preaching of God's word. And while we might not all be vocational ministers, we are all called to be preachers of God's word. We are called to be ones who proclaim the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that gospel, that that truth about him, does not come from man. It comes from God himself. That brings us to the first point, this gospel of man. Look at me at verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. These verses set us on a path of understanding of how we should take Paul when we read his works. His works do not come from the musings of a smart man, of a philosopher, of all the things that Paul probably would have been really, really good at had he wanted to. He was an intelligent man. But these aren't his own musings. Yes, Paul's experiences, his personality, they come through in the words of the New Testament, absolutely. Yet the words are directly inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. We are reading Paul's words here, yes, but they are God's words too. God, or Paul wrote them down in his own hand, but God owns them. They're his. They are eternal. They are binding for all mankind for all time, not just for those who have happened to have read them. The Judaizers wanted to discredit Paul, saying that, that he was not for Christians. That he's got another gospel. But in fact, they were the ones that were anti-gospel. They wanted to show that he wasn't capable of teaching the church the true gospel that was handed down through the rabbinic traditions of old. It wasn't just circumcision that they were trying to hold up. But it was all of those rabbinic traditions. It was all of those Jewish customs. We see this around still today. We'll talk about it in a moment. It's nothing new. There isn't anything new under the sun. Heresy just finds some new wrapping paper every few decades. It comes around again and again. So Paul cuts straight to the heart of their argument against him. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church, church of God violently and tried to destroy it. He admits his former actions. He doesn't try to explain them away at all. He says, this is what I was doing. In fact, he, he uses language to suggest that 
He's not trying to make an excuse for it, but he's, he's doing the opposite. He said he was violently persecuting, that he tried to destroy the church. He owns up to his former sin. He even goes a step further, verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He knew as much about the traditions as anyone. And that word traditions that we see here that he that he chooses is used in the New Testament only to speak of those Jewish traditions handed down through rabbinic tradition. And someone might say, well, some of that stuff is in Scripture. Shouldn't Paul be doing that? Anyone who is still following those traditions and thinks that they are earning some sort of righteousness by doing so will definitely use that argument. And to them, I show them this passage. What was Paul set apart to do? Had those traditions been necessary, Paul would have been preaching them. He wasn't set apart to, to, to preach those traditions. He was set apart to preach the gospel of God. Verses 15 and 16. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I need to add this today because this kind of thing seems really, really attractive, those Jewish traditions. It has been for years. It seems to be picking up steam even more recently, uh, even in our own town. It's been pretty popular here. A local church used to host a thing called Torah Tuesdays. It just sounds kind of fun, I guess, kind of like Taco Tuesdays, except for like Torah instead. They should have stuck with the tacos. There's nothing wrong with learning about the first five books of the Bible. That's what the Torah is. There's nothing wrong with learning about those books at all, in fact. Yet when Christians are encouraged to add the Jewish traditions to the gospel of Jesus, they are being encouraged to follow a gospel of man rather than the gospel of God. Some of those believers actually fell away from Christ and embraced Judaism instead. And understand this, brothers and sisters in Christ, they're not just kind of switching to a different version of Christianity when they embrace that. They are worshiping an idol. They are worshiping a false God, a non-Trinitarian God, and they're still waiting on the sun to appear. It's not what's, that's not the truth. And speaking from another thing that sounds attractive, we oftentimes want to appeal to authority too, which is what Paul is preaching against here. We sometimes, or we will hear something like, well, especially in the Reformed tradition, this is a big one. Well, he was taught by Calvin, so we should probably listen to him. Or, well, Dr. Sproul thought he was a really good preacher, so I don't know. We should probably listen to what he has to say. If anyone could have played that card, it was Paul, as well as anyone ever. He spent time with the actual apostles. He was with them, verses 18 and 19. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the apostles, none of the other apostles, except James, 
the Lord's brother. So he spent 15 days with Peter and with James. It's pretty incredible. Now this isn't enough time to be like discipled up or to be trained or anything special like that, but it's definitely enough time to get to know someone well enough to be able to name drop them, right? Paul could have said, now I'm preaching the authentic gospel of Peter and James. Therefore, you should listen to me. It was right for him to go and meet them, absolutely, for them to offer him the right hand of fellowship as a fellow minister of the gospel, making sure that they, that the, that the new church and that, that Paul and everybody together were all on the same team, absolutely, this was good. But this meeting wasn't about making sure that Paul was on team Peter. As we're going to see soon, Paul had to actually rebuke Peter to his face. Paul was on team Jesus. So was Peter. So was James. Even though he persecuted the church, the church recognized this. I love these verses, 22 through 24. And I was still unknown in person to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said. And this is this is great. They were only hearing it said he used to persecute us, but now he's preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. What an incredible story of God's faithfulness. And that's just it. They didn't glorify Paul because of his smart decision to turn to Jesus. They didn't glorify Paul because he was on team Peter. They didn't glorify him because he was so good at keeping all the traditions. They glorified God for the work that God had done in Paul. Paul's decision, if you remember, back in Acts chapter 9, we're going to turn there in a moment, was to get on the road to Damascus so that he could put more Christians in jail. That's the decision he made. Jesus had other plans for Paul, threw him down on the ground, and taught him the one true gospel for all time. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we aren't much different than the Galatians here. We want something that seems special and different. That's how we are. We want something that we can name drop and say, well, this is Vody's gospel or this is MacArthur's gospel. Both of those men would point to Jesus, point away from themselves. It's for some reason we like to point to people like that. We want something that's different. Some traditions that look all quaint and nice, that look different than what other people are doing, right? Because we're keeping, we have a better Jesus because we have these weird traditions that we do. There is no better Jesus. You're going to hear me say that all the time. There's no adding to the gospel. The one true gospel needs no additions. Adding to the true gospel is just making another gospel of man. And the gospel of man only converts people to eternal death, not eternal life. Anytime we add our own spin to it, we make it cheap. The one true gospel isn't received, isn't received by man at all, by God alone. And so that brings me to the second point, the gospel of God. Look with me again, verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, the gospel that was preached by me was not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul did not receive the gospel in a classroom. 
Nothing wrong with classrooms. But he received it from God alone. We saw a vivid picture of this on Paul's road to Damascus when he was converted. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. I want to read this. I've talked about it for several weeks now. And I want to just go ahead and get a good, good account here. We're going to read a big section here. First 19 verses. But I think it's important. This idea that, you know, Paul's saying that he didn't get the gospel from man, but he got it from God alone. Well, what does that mean when we're going to read here and see this? Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So again, Paul's, Paul's purposes here were to, to arrest Christians. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him to Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Paul, or named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how evil, or how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Jerusalem. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Pretty incredible story there. I think it's important for our understanding of Galatians because Paul was thrown down by the Lord Jesus. He was given some instructions to go into this town. He went. Just one second earlier, he had, he had, his, uh, had a backpack full of these arrest warrants. And now he's walking into a city, or no, he's not walking, he's being led into a city blind and waiting for some person he's never heard of because he followed the Lord. And this man, Ananias, helped him to regain his sight, baptized him, Paul received the Spirit, and he began preaching the gospel. That's pretty much the order that it happened. He didn't wait, he didn't have to be ordained by Peter. He was called directly by Jesus himself. I mean, how do we know? Well, verses 19 through 22. 
For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. It's incredible, right? He says that he was there for some days and we get to Galatians and we find out that these some days is actually three years, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, he went to Jerusalem. What was Paul doing during those three years? He was preaching the gospel because he received the gospel directly from God, the same gospel that we have here today. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I have a very important distinction to make for us here today because there's a difference between the gospel of man and the gospel of God that Paul received. We are not Paul. We are not waiting to receive the gospel of God directly from God. We need not go into some stranger's house and pray and wait for the scales to be removed from our eyes. We have already received the gospel from God. We have our very own copies of God's word in an English or in a language that we can understand in English. And we can thank those that went before us that we have a Bible in English. But we thank God for preserving his word for all time. This is important. This is very important. We are not waiting for a special word from the Lord. Nor are we listening to anyone who says that they have a special word from the Lord. Why would we? The church for centuries has said, this is God's word concerning the Bible that we have before us today. Paul wrote other letters. We know that he wrote other letters. Supposedly there's a couple other letters to the Corinthian church. There's some other things that are out there. Others, The other apostles wrote other things. Those things weren't preserved. And we might ask, well, wouldn't it be nice if we had those letters? R.C. Sproul tells a story of a candidate of ministry that he was examining. I can't imagine being examined by Dr. Sproul, but that would be horrible. And this story just exemplifies that. He asked the candidate, if you were to find Paul's other two letters to the Corinthians, what should we do with them? And the candidate answered, we should add them to the Bible. And it said that Dr. Sproul jumped across the table and had to be held back by the other ministers that were there. Why such a reaction? Because we have God's word. We're not waiting for more gospel. We're not waiting for more things. There's not another gospel. There's no more special words. We have all the words that we need right here in God's word. So when Jerry or others like him want to share from a special word from God, we can confidently say, no thanks. John Knox, English theologian, said, if your revelation is against God's word, then it's wrong. If it agrees, 
It's unnecessary. It's the way I see it. Anything added to our own gospel doesn't make the gospel better or more flashy or more palatable or more relatable. It makes it wrong. It makes it man's gospel and not God's. We don't need more of man's words. We need less of them. We need more of the gospel. In fact, brothers and sisters in Christ, we never stop needing the gospel. If we ever come to a time where we think we no longer need the gospel, then that means that we have wandered off the path. We have wandered away. The same Jesus that set you apart before you were born and called you by his grace is the only one that you need today. There's no difference. You can't make him better. In fact, he is better than you can ever imagine already. And you are far worse than you realize. And that's what makes this one true gospel so incredible. Because as bad as we are and as good as he is, yet we're talking about the fact that you and I in Christ, we are his. Even though the gulf between us is so vast. And we aren't his, brothers and sisters, because we did the right thing. We are, we are his because he is good. Because he is good. In fact, he exchanged his righteousness for our sin. He became sin that you might become the righteousness of God, so that you might stand before a holy God and not be punished for all eternity, but instead be, be called my child. Christian, that is what we need. We need Jesus. Rest in him. Discard your man-made gospel. Cast out your burdens. Cast them upon Christ. Rest in him. Unbelievers, if you're here this morning, do the same. There's no different for you. You need the same Jesus. There's nothing else. In fact, call upon Jesus. Call upon his name. He is the only hope that you have for salvation. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, let us be ones who cast off our attempts to craft a new gospel of man and instead latch hold of the one true gospel of God and let us be preachers of that gospel to the whole world. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read again the simple truth of the gospel, as we read about how you have preserved it for all time, about how... Hundreds of years ago, the apostle was saying, talking about a gospel that was handed down from God. And we have that before us today. Lord, help us to cling solely to you. Nothing else. Seeking no other truth, seeking no other gospel, but seeking you alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen.